Romans chapter 14, verse 7, verse 8. Okay, so, for none of us lives to himself. If you got your Bible or your, uh, you know, your iPhone Bible, you can turn to that as well. Romans chapter 14, verse 7 to verse 8. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Now, this is a good one to, to make, to jerk all, all, everybody to the reality of life. One day, we all die, you know. Like what you just said, mean people think that they never die. We live as if we're going to live forever. It's, 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 it's just a pretension that, never, that will never happen. So, Romans 14, verse 7 to verse 8. Uh, if you want, you can read a little bit more context above that. Uh, Romans chapter 14. About one, observe the day or that day kind of thing. Uh, verse, verse 7, you see, for, for not one of us lives for himself. Not one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So that's the memory for uh, so the, the answer to what is our hope in life and death. This, this is the answer. Very short, but good for memory. That we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's our memory this week. Romans 14, verse 8. Uh, verse 7 to verse 8. You all can, John, if you got it. Oh, John, does, John, you have a flip phone. You see <laughs> That's pretty amazing in this day of age. So what, what I, I also have a smartphone, but I don't use it. Why not? It's in a box. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He, he doesn't like it. <laughs> you don't like it? Wrong color. I, you know, I'm going to learn how to use it one of these days, and I'll keep it in my backpack. I will teach you very easy. Why, why did they skip so many questions in this? Oh, yeah. This is a more more synth, yeah, condensed version, if you like. Yeah, so Tim Keller and some another author, they, they came uh, up with it. Kevin DeYoung, I think. Yeah, Kevin DeYoung. Yeah. And then they... they but, you know, but, but Charlie, if we can get through this first as a starter, this is a synthesized, condensed version, oh. and he put in uh, Calvin and all these short thoughts to it. And if we get this going, God willing, we'll move on to the shorter catechism, longer catechism, whatever, you know. Yeah, so that, that will be the long view. But this is, uh, this is designed for urban city and busy people, and then we try to get the ball rolling. If not, nothing get done. You know? No church teach catechism anymore. Well, you, you taught catechism for yeah. a while, right, with us? Yeah, but I, I, I used the old-fashioned yeah. I.I. Williamson that I always had. But this one, yeah, but this one is to be for you to memorize. Okay, so can we all recite this? So, uh, what is our only hope in life and death? Okay, why don't we read it out then? Okay, so I'm going to ask this question. What is your only hope in life and death? So, okay, Joni, why did you answer that? That we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, this is very simple. That we're not our own. If you paraphrase it, this is the way I paraphrase it. This, I am not my own. But, with, but body and soul, life and death, I belong to God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's body and soul, life and death, to God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So 
you can, you can break it down this way easy. Right. I don't, yeah, it'd be nice if you get everything exactly right. This is a very short line anyway to memorize. So, so you know why this is good? This is good because, uh, you know, when, when you go through a hard time, you know that you live for the Lord, you know. So what the heck? <laughs> Everything's for the Lord. He'll take care of you. You don't live for yourself. So that's idea. Because this world, living for yourself is such a real thing, right? <laughs> such a real problem. Not just a thing, real. So, okay. So uh, that's the way. Uh, what is our only hope? Now the question is very piercing because what's this Westminster West Catechism Confession is very, very, what is our only hope in life and death? Think about that. Your hope in life or death is in Christ. Because people in the world that without Christ, what is their hope in death? Nothing. Their hope in death is give the inheritance to the children. If the children don't mess it up. If the children even honor you, you know? Mm-hmm. The world knows too well. You know, the, 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 the kids don't even get along with the parents. The parents work all their lives, accumulate all this wealth. They think they got it, and they, they don't even want to enjoy too much of it. Guess what? The Bible has so much to say about it. The, the wealthy men, they can bask in the glory now, but in a short period of time, they are gone. They're forever gone. And guess who? Enjoy their kids, their hope. And do the kids really get so excited about that? Do they need it? Seriously, all these questions. So there's no hope in death for them. So Christians, we have hope in our God. So, you know, we, we, we don't, this is just a quick memory. Get our mindset. So one week, one question, memorize it. We are not our own. First, that's a very major statement. I'm not my own. Whether body or soul, life and death, I belong to God and Christ Jesus. Come on, let's get this one, everybody. So... Once, 52 weeks, 52 questions, catechism, we get it done. God willing, I'll, I'll come here more often than, uh, you know, we will implement this. So let's, let's try that. Okay, so what do you say one more time, Johnny? <laughs> uh, that we are not our own, um, both body and soul, both in life and death, um, but to uh, God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Right, that's right. <laughs> he got it much more accurately. Okay. So, Ming, you want to try that? Try what? Okay, the question is, what is our, what is our only hope in life and death? That's, no. But as you said, it's... You can write it down. Now. You can write it down. Yeah, so this is the way memorize uh, Ming. So you say, what is your only hope in life and death? Our only hope in life and death is that we belong to God in body, soul, life, death to God in Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm God. I'm sorry. My first part is wrong. We are not our own, but in body, soul, life, death belong to, belong to God and our Lord Jesus Christ. In life and death and body. So anybody wants to try that? Apart from Johnny. Johnny is expert now. Okay, we you. are not our own, mm-hmm. but in body, soul, we are not our own, but belong. Yeah, that's just English. That's fine. Let her, let's finish it. We are not our own, but by body, soul, death, belong to the right God. God. Yeah. Just remember the song, I guess, in Brevity. My only hope for righteousness is Jesus. Right? Yeah, but they don't even, <laughs> people don't even sing the but song. It's, here. Easy to, it's, it's easy to say the answer like this, but do we live our life like this? Oh, yes. That's, 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 yeah. that's, another, <laughs> that's another lesson. <laughs> 
But the but thing is, the yeah. But if you don't have the first step, you never even try to live the way of life. So this, this, this is good to, in a negative connotation in the world's way, it's called brainwashing. But we want to we wash our brain with the holiness of God, right things of God. You know, brainwashing. We just want to. In, uh, this is the, the the book says in the Bible uh, in the Peter said, let your let the word of God so dwell in you richly. That's the way. Dwell in you. Memorize it. It's good. Catechism is got hundreds and hundreds of years of richest theology of the of the smartest men who love God passionately. Not just smart, intelligent men who love God passionately. Crystallize it, synthesize it. We should run with this. You know, as I say, I wrote in the blog, we should not reinvent nothing. We just need to personalize it, expound on it if you want to, if you can. This is what preaching is really. Expound on what people already say. So, and, and what God, and so, okay, that's pretty good. So, Johnny and Ming, so make sure that because the next time I come, we'll continue, we'll test one another. Or that'll be October 17th, but the Lord willing will come more. But, okay, anybody, that, what did you say? Uh, that we are not on, but belong, body and soul, um, both in life and death, to God and to our Lord Jesus Christ. Beautiful. Beautiful. So he, she's got to belong first. It's <laughs> 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 the most sophisticated English. You know, for me, is you know, as long as I get the word. What about you, John? John is a very good English guy. You know, he he writes, he writes with beautiful words, and every time he, he responds to me, he captures that word. <laughs> I was thinking that you know, the day come when I'm going to write that. I've been planning that first book called the. Uh, Congruence. You know, you can help me on this. The congruence of the power of the spirit and the and the word. Basically, it's charismatic reform combined. That's the title of your book. Yeah. Great. Yeah. When I, when, when, when you finish with your seminary, you can start that. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have written about seven chap eight chapters already. I because that and a book. You've written? Yeah, I read. Oh, good. Part, part of it. Like. Yeah, part of no, not complete. I'm reading part of it. Basically, it's crystallized what I got from the reformed, reformed world thinking teachings into my own, through my future. Because I have a future, I'm from a charismatic background. But the thing is, I, I always say, you know, these guys have all this, but they don't have the, you know, the spirits part of it. And for a very good position, I, I, ha- I have this as well. I got both because of my background. Yeah, so, but I just need to really toe the line into that. And I want to really bless the body of Christ. A lot of people, you know, have one or the other. I just want to really sift out the good ones from that. that that's a problem. Right, right. That's, that's a good goal. Yeah. yeah. I think there are people, there are reformed charismatics out there. John Piper is probably one. Yeah, Piper is one. Yeah. Oh, he, he was charismatic. He's a weird guy. I didn't know that. Is he? I, I, I didn't know. Oh, yeah. I don't know. He is. No. I've met him several times. Oh, yeah. He's a weird guy. Well, he's he's one of the most popular preachers. You know? so. he's, he's got some proclivities. And what's that mean? <laughs> uh, some interesting viewpoints on things that don't necessarily coincide with. Reform. Yeah, and and some of his own ideas don't comport with each other. All right, all right. So, but uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, I mean, Keller and him will, will go very hand in hand, and Don Carson as well. I think Keller's a little more clear on us. Oh, Keller is very clear. Ke- Keller is a very 
culture driven. His his message is he's he's really into the culture. I sent you guys right that the article about the fall and decline of the church, modern church. He's just expert in this. He's very much into bobbing as well. This morning I heard a very short uh, part, David Jeremiah. Oh, uh, you listen to David Jeremiah? Well, yeah, happens. He, his his show is on at seven thirty on Channel Five. In on TV? Yeah. Oh, okay. So he talk about the pandemic, the, the Marxism, the socialism. So he, he, he brought up what's happening right now, which I agree. I personally agree with him. <coughs> He's from San Diego, right? Is that yeah. guy? So it's funny. When I was in Wyoming or Montana, whatever, Yellowstone, I was driving. There's nothing goes through. Only a little bit of David Jeremiah goes through the radio. Oh, really? <laughs> But you, if you, but if you go to inter, is, is if there's a reception on the internet, you can listen to anything, you know. No, there's no re- no internet. Oh, okay. The, 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 out of the park, it was. Sure. There's no signal. Okay, so so okay, John, I was talking to you about. Why did you recite the answer? I'm I'm not my own, mm-hmm. but belong, body and soul. Uh, what else? What else? Related to that. Present and future, whatever. Life and death. Life and death. Uh, to God and to Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, Charlie, you're the last one now. Oh, that I am not my own, but belong in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, you missed the one, body and soul. Body and soul? Yeah, yeah, before life and death. Yeah. Oh, okay. So this is just the way we, we run. You know, I'm going to just run in do, a... Do they... Do they Expound out any more like the Heidelberg where that comes from? Because uh, actually, the rest of it is really pertinent. Oh, oh yeah. Where, what what website is that? The, well, this is shorter. This is just Lord's Day Heidel, Heidelberg huh? Catechism. In Heidelberg Catechism. Yeah. See, so what it what it goes on to is, is it explains what what that actually means. Oh, okay. Send the link there. But but they, they, this, uh, you know, Timothy Keller has actually expounded it a little bit. Well, yeah, if he takes a modern twist on it, it might be better for Yeah, the modern twist. People. Okay, let me just grab some of this and share it with you, okay? So, so the one point that John Calvin lays out the essence of the, what it means to live the Christian life. He says that he could make us a list of the commandments we should be keeping, a list of all the character traits we should be exhibiting. But instead, he wants to boil it down to the basic motive and the basic principle of what it means to live the Christian life. So that is, the catechism is, they try to boil it down to the motive. Motive is a very powerful, you know, it's like the imperative and the indicative. Okay, so that's enough. The basic motive is that God sent his son to save us by grace and to adopt us into his family. So now, because of that grace, in our gratitude, we want to resemble our Father. We want the family resemblance. We want to look like our Savior. We want to please our Father. The basic principle is this. We are not to live to please ourselves. I think that's a really... really, We are not living to please ourselves. It's counterculture, counterintuitive. If we can even get this one into the brains of our children and ourselves... Mm. 
this is already worth the whole book. You know, we got to get into the brains and the spirit of our kids and ourselves and our small group that we don't live for ourselves. We live for God. You, you know, like one of the reasons why uh, uh, churches today are just so uh, apathetic, I think, is because we've lowered the bar mm. so far. You know, I, I think about the Marines, you know, they used to have a, a saying, uh, they're looking for a few good men. And it's like they 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 raise the bar, you know, to, to the point where like you had to have a certain amount of zeal to, in order to do to join. Mm -hmm. And the same with the church. Too. Yep. I mean, if we lower the bar that you can be anything that you want to be, and that's right. Anything that you want to believe. I mean, what's the point of coming to church at all? Yeah, it's a self-made church, basically. They call it self-made man. Yeah. Yeah, that's, so, that's why I still love the the classics. The, this is, I mean, I, I, that, that book I think is good for modern stuff, but the original Heidelberg, well, I'm, I'm, I had to memorize the Westminster, so it's a little different, but um, I think the original writings in and of themselves are just so profound and well it thought is, out that, I mean, you can translate them to a more modern vernacular, make them easier to understand, but in and of themselves, they were perfect. They're so rich. I think they were inspired. The soul well. reach, the Heidelberg. I think men, just like uh, the apostles were uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to some extent, throughout history, God has inspired oh, yeah. men to translate Scripture and to bring a little bit more clarity to the God's people. Of course. Even preaching, you can inspire by God. It's, you know, snippets here and there kind of thing, you know. It has to be. Because if not, if it's from man's word, this this put a lot of it from Heidelberg, by the way. It's more from Heidelberg than than Westminster's. Yeah. I think you got you know whatever you guys choose. I mean, you have to be cognizant of who the sheep are mm -hmm. and what their toleration is. Yeah. I mean, like when you're preaching. I mean, not, I'm not talking about you necessarily, but any of us preaching. You, know? um, you got to look at the sheep. You got to look at the sheep and see when they're starting to get fidgety. You know, when they can't take anymore, <laughs> then you got to turn it off. Otherwise, they'll forget what you've already told them. You know what I mean? When they get the saturation point, it starts yeah. erasing the old memory. So, like, anything that we decide to do in this church, it's got to be tailored to the people that are here. Yeah. I had a hermeneutics teacher that had a saying. He said, the mind can only absorb as much as the seat can endure. Uh -huh. yeah. So it's like once their butt starts to hurt, they're not going to remember anymore. So that's it. They get them out. <laughs> well, the army did some studies, some scientific studies about people's attention span, and they said 17 minutes is all that people can take on one subject. Then you have to switch gears. You have to do something to, you know. Uh, but yeah. you know what I think? I think there's been a cultural decline and man's devotion to things. Because you have to think about years yes. and years ago, like, like, let's say back in Jonathan Edwards' time. Yeah. I remember meeting stories. Guys would hook up the horses to their wagon, put their family in the wagon, go across streams and country just to get to a church that's just 25, 30 miles away, and would take them two to three hours to get to. That's right. Now that was their devotion. Mm -hmm. No, we're getting to church. I don't care if it takes me three hours and we gotta go across the stream. Why can't they ride the horses there? They just hook up the wagon, let's go. Yeah. And so, what happened to that? 
And men would sit in church for hours and hours and hours and listen and, and enjoy each other's company afterwards. And now man can't spend five minutes to, to even come to church most cases. You know, they used to have a guy in the back of the church with a paddle. And if anybody would be falling asleep, you know, the congregation, you hit him in the back of the Maybe church. Maybe we should bring that back. <laughs> <laughs> Wayne's that. Huh? When was this? In the Puritan era. You know, oh, the, I love Puritans. <laughs> I can't believe Puritans can do that. Two and a half hours. Oh, it's true. Worse than Paul. You know? Puritan is power. It's really powerhouse, Puritan. Jonathan Edwards is one of them, right? Pur huh? Puritan? Jonathan Edwards? Yeah, he was a modern day, um, well, modern day. He was like a latter day. A latter day of yeah, Puritan. He's considered the greatest American theologian of the last yeah. two centuries. He, he was. The stolly-faced preacher. He never had emotion. Oh, really? And he, he, but he, he's credited with the, uh, the sermon "Sinners in the Hand of an Angry, angry God, God," yeah, which brought people to tears. He's so powerful. His theology. Is oh, phenomenal. let me tell you how far our culture has fallen. When I was in the seventh grade, public school in Wyandanch, New York, we had to read "Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God." Oh, really? As oh part my of American introduction to I love it. Is that private school? I have a, a copy oh of I never forgot that sermon. Of great school primer. Beautiful. Huh? What subject? English. English literature. Like in like seventh grade, you take a survey of American literature. So you read great American poems, you know, whatever. And, you know, Jonathan Edwards was right there. Woo. American literature. I have a primer from 1899. It's a little bitty booklet like this that they gave out to grade school children with their ABCs, and it's got all scripture in it. As they learned their letters and numbers, they learned scripture. Yeah. That was part of regular. What a rich culture we had. Before. Yes. And they just. How many years ago was that? Oh, well, it's over 100 years ago. 1960s when they kick. Uh, God out of the project. 62, wasn't it? 63. 63. Well, what caused it in, you know, what is the issue that they, they kicked God out of the school? It was Marilyn Murray O'Hare, an atheist woman who didn't want her child to have to recite or listen to any prayer in school. And, and there she was went a, to the Supreme Court. Yeah, and, the, and they found that they couldn't impose that, you know, the separation of church and state as they saw it. <coughs> It's interesting the way that they interpreted that because the original separation of church and state mm -hmm. was to keep the state out of the church's business, mm -hmm. not the church out of the state's yeah, business. And, and that term, separation of church and state, is found in a letter that Jefferson wrote to somebody in England. It has nothing to do with the Constitution. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's interesting. You, you, can, you can try to separate church and state, but and what is church and state? It's man. How do you separate man from God? Exactly. My point is that we they they taking the separation of church and state. We I'm talking about separation of God and uh, and state. You know, we just do sinners' prayers. You call that church, and this is God's word. Just the just God. How about separate God and church? Well, the thing is, they they they. they <coughs> sorry, I need some water. They lump God into church. Oh, thank you. You know, they, they, they say that in the name of separating church and state, we, we take okay. God out. Right. I'm saying that you can separate church 
from the state all you want. Because, because like you say, it's a Jefferson's one little letter, not even talking about this. But the, the world, thank you, the secular world do not understand the difference between the, the, what is God and what is church. Because their perception of God, of church, is the administration, the running the church, the everything about the church. You know, they, we are, you know I, I'm, I'm arguing for the place of God. I know theologically, uh, uh, church is the body of, of Christ, right? Church, uh, Christ is the head of the church. So we can argue that. You can take church out. I'm not saying you do everything. I'm just saying that who God is. Mm-hmm. I know. Knowledge you create. Right? I understand. There, it comes down to there is a fallacy in the way that people uh, are thinking. It's like objectivity is not something that's really quantifiable because when it says, well, I'll be neutral, and that's the myth of neutrality. It's not possible because we all have presuppositions. Now, you can have Christian presuppositions, which make sense of everything, and then you can have worldly presuppositions. If that wasn't the case, then why would everybody be trying to get somebody different on the Supreme Court? Mm-hmm. Because they know, well, we're going to be neutral when we judge things. Are, in fact, are they neutral? No, they all come with their own presuppositions. The right. way they look at the world. You must have a presupposition. <laughs> yes, it's impossible to live without them. Exactly. And so the idea is, yeah, I want to have a, Demo- a Democrat in there. Oh, I want to have a Republican or conservative or a liberal. Okay, but they're supposed to be neutral, aren't they? No, that's a myth. And that's why when the politicians say, well, no, we're neutral when we're making these. We're not thinking about one party or the other. That's a lie. Psychologically, it's not possible. We found that out in philosophy classes. People, they all choose their own philosophy. They don't do it very well, but they all choose one. And it's based on the presuppositions that they've made in order to interpret the things in the world. Absolutely. Whether they're true, false, right, or wrong, it's based on your presuppositions. I'd much rather have someone with Christian presuppositions judging me Mm -hmm. because I know what that standard is. If they're not, it could be any mishmash of vain, humanistic philosophy right. that has destroyed the world up until now. That's why things like the catechisms, uh, they're so important because they start Absolutely. to establish your presuppositions. Yep, yep. What do I think? Who is God? That's one of the questions in there. Who is God? What is God? And so, you know, how, how do I enjoy him? What do I do? You have to answer, these are questions that I think at some point everybody, I know as a young man, I, there was a question, is this, I asked, I think it was second or third year in the military, is this all there is? Is there nothing more? What happens when I close my eyes for the last time and I'm, I don't wake up? Is there something else or is it just nihilism? Hmm. I see, cease to be. You always, what's missing? Because we all feel that something missing at one point. And that's, that's when the father, and I think not call is the right word, I think the better word is draw from the Greek. And he draws us to him. He says, I've been, he, he's calling, but he's pulling. Yeah. Yeah, he's you can't resist it. A call maybe you can ignore, but he's pulling you in. You're not going to resist God. You can resist a lot of things, but not God. And he's going to call you and then he's going to talk to you. Irresistible. Yes. 
And, and what does the unbeliever do? He suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. God's given him that ability. He says, you, you can suppress it. I'll allow you. I'm not drilling you. You just keep suppressing the truth. Which is why the word, you just keep turning your head and try to ignore me. Because I'm not calling you anyway. Yeah. But Hell, God. <laughs> that's basically what he's saying. Yeah, the, the predestined God draws specific ones up to per his pleasure, you know. It's not like God draws certain ones and you have the ability to reject that or suppress that. No. Yeah. yeah. Because once God draws, nothing is going to stop him anymore. Okay, let's come back to this one. Okay, so I just finished this and then you can talk more. Okay, so let me finish this. What, what the, the first question in the category is, we don't live to please ourselves. Yeah. And we're not to live as if we belong to ourselves. And that's another one, belong to ourselves. And that means several things. It means, first of all, we are not to determine for ourselves what is right or wrong. So that's a big one. We don't get to decide what is right or wrong in life. For me, that this is first catechism. So if we get this one in, then you already have a revolution. Seriously. If we take God's word seriously, this simple truth already sparked a fire. I mean, this, this in itself will cause a lot of debate. And there should be debate. There should be talking what it means to you and kind of what it means. You know, I find it difficult. So, so I don't get to, to make a call or what is right or wrong for me. That's for God. You, see. you know why? Because you live for God. And when you die, you don't die to yourself. You die for yourself. You die for, in God, for God too. So make a choice. So we give out the right to determine that uh, and we re rely wholly on God's will. We give up the operating principle that we usually live day to day. We stop putting ourselves first. We stop putting ourselves first. And we always put first what pleases God and what pleases our neighbor. Our neighbor part is challenging, right? So anyway, I'm just giving some, some seed thoughts for, for us to, uh, to, to digest this through. And hopefully in future, there is a small groups. That will be my personal vision. If I get a pastor of the church and there will be a small community group that everybody run. And you can implement it and talk about this on your small groups, you know. It's nothing better than experiencing yourselves. And when you come hit a problem, how does it mean to you? When you have to make a decision, which way you go, you always go for God. You know what you okay. should do? We should have like a board or something where you could put whichever one we're reviewing every week with the answer on it. Mm -hmm. So people could just look as a reminder. Yeah, like on, on a whiteboard or something like that. Put the question and then put the answer so everybody, oh yeah, that's right. Is it, isn't it a, what do you call it, a projector? Yeah. Well, the projector is going to go on and off, but yeah. that is going to stay. Fine. I it's mean, too bad we didn't have, like, uh, I bet you they have them for that. They probably have little printout cards that you can hang up on the wall. Yeah, I don't know. Or we can just... I'll check into it. Yeah, or somebody can type in... What about the bulletin, Charles? Yeah, put in bulletin. Yeah, put in bulletin. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Who does a book? The whole page. What's, what's our weekly reflection? Oh, this is what it is. Yeah. The first question. Okay. So, uh, so it will be under you. I mean, you are the new deacon. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Who does this bulletin? I, I don't even know. City. City. They send everything. So maybe we should. When you say this week's question, what is our only comfort in life and death? 
Well, yeah, because can you answer? Cindy also <laughs> asked me, "What am I going to teach on catechism um, in the Sunday school?" So you know, I I am going to teach on catechism too. This next time I won't say catechism too. I put a catechism question and answer in the email, so that should go into the book. How about that? I think that's excellent idea. Yeah, because Cindy asked me to CC Yun as well, and and Ming and you know some of you folks. So oh, how can you not support that? So we have, huh? How could you not support that? Support what? Doing something like that, that's, it just makes sense. Because it, it's different. It's like. Oh, heaven forbid we do something progressive, that. right? <laughs> to make an improvement, this is such a struggle. Oh, gosh. So we st stop putting ourselves first. We always put first what pleases God and pleases our It also means that we have no part in our lives that is immune from. S we are. We, it also means we, we are to have no part of our lives that is immune from self-giving. We are supposed to give ourselves wholly to God, body and soul. It means we trust God through thick and thin, through the good and the bad times in life and in death. So how do the motive and the principle relate? Because we are saved by grace, we're not our own. A woman once said to me, if I knew I was saved because of what I did, if I contributed to my own salvation, then God couldn't ask anything of me because I had made a contribution. You get that? Yeah. It's a very important statement. That's why Reformed teaching is so much more powerful than Arminianism. Arminianism said, I contribute a little bit. So that woman says correctly, if I contribute to my own salvation, even maybe 5%, 10%, that 10% God could not ask me to, for that 10% because it belongs to me. But this is saying that you got nothing. You contributed zero zip, everything from God. So therefore, this is very powerful. But if I'm saved by grace, sheer grace, then there's nothing he cannot ask of me. Right? Makes sense. God can ask anything from you because you're totally bought by him, saved by him. And that's right. You are not your own. You're bought with a price. Somebody, some years ago, I heard a Christian speaker say, how can you come to grips with someone who has given himself utterly for you without you giving yourself utterly for him. Jesus gave himself wholly for us. So now we must give ourselves wholly to him. This is why the analogy of marriage comes in between Christ and the church. Because it's an exclusive relationship, right? Mm hmm Yeah, but because of, but the modern day understanding of marriage is not nowhere near as strong right. as as the, the Bibles talk about. That comes to the Ten Commandments: Thou shalt not worship any god except me. Right? Thou shalt not right. bow to any. So God put it in the very early stage. Oh yeah. It's over and over, it's the same message basically. The whole Bible is the same message. So we we got to drew that down. So that that's that's it. Uh, so we, we will do a prayer after this, but this is, uh, this is uh, what is our only hope in life and death, okay? So that means we are not our own, but belong body, soul, life, death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. That completes our first uh, question on catechism. Uh, you know, maybe I can take a look at the Heidelberg. And throw in some rich, they are rich, but they're old, you know, kind of 
So I can grasp, because this is a very modern application. I don't think old is necessarily bad. Yeah. I just think it's, if you present it, then it won't be, I could say your sermon is old, but the way you present it makes it new. Yeah. So that it, but it's based on the old word. And so the same thing is true. I think the things that the Heidelberg says might necessarily be classic in nature, but when you bring it forth and discuss it, yeah. it's new. Very good. <laughs> you might not even need that. <laughs> no, you but do this, it yourself. This, this is a synthesized version of a, a complete uh, you know, thing, or condensed. Any, so any question, anybody, any thoughts? Else, uh, and then we're going to pray. Okay, you have a question about the 70 minutes of the patient span. Yes. I think, um, like, normally they say it's about 30 minutes, like, you know, for for a person, I mean, 15 minutes, but then in a, you know, in the context of a sermon, 15 is, oh, 